Do you realize that right now we are in the midst of the greatest harvest the world has ever seen of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ? On our watch, in our lifetime. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is just very quickly give a few things that are happening uh, in terms of the momentum of the gospel literally around the world. I want to narrow it down to some things that God has been doing here in the UAE this year. And then I want to go to the scriptures and see what would God like to do through us this year as individuals. And so some of the things that God are doing. The first slide looks at... Africa, if we can pull that one up. And just look at some of the figures here in terms of the momentum of the gospel. Literally around the turn of the century, maybe 3% Christian. Today, sub-Saharan Africa, 50%, some 25,000 people a day coming. The church in Uganda, the church in Nigeria, the church in Kenya, the church in South Africa, brothers and sisters, is huge. And God is moving amongst those people in terms of putting on their hearts his burden, his vision. The churches in Nigeria have a goal to send out 50,000 missionaries just through North Africa and the Middle East. That's our Nigerian brothers and sisters. If we now move to to, uh, South America and we see some of the things that have been going on in South America in terms of uh, the Protestants coming to faith or uh, getting more involved, we see that in 1950,000 up till 2000, some hundred million. Something has been going on in these last hundred years. Then if we look at China, back around 1950, maybe a million. Today, talking over a hundred million believers in China. This next slide, it shows the map of China with an arrow going to the rest of the world. Our brothers and sisters in China are saying, we want to be sending missionaries out. Last March, I was at the Chinese Evangelical Seminary in Taiwan, just talking with them about coming to this part of the world. And I was amazed at the hunger of our Chinese brothers and sisters to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And several times being in mainland China, being in prayer meetings, literally where the carpet is wet with the tears of the women crying out for the Middle East. This is the world that we are living in. More people coming to faith than ever before, and that includes the Arab world and every country in the Arab world. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit now just about the UAE, and this next slide shows a group of, it's an ecumenical group that meets every year here in Abu Dhabi, and it comes from the major church families, so you would have the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Greek Orthodox and the uh, Oriental Orthodox and Protestants. And we come together because we actually have the same issues. We all need land. We all need visas. And so we found that when we work together, our voice is stronger because there's maybe 6 million Christians in the Gulf. 
Here in the UAE, we're talking over one million when you include all of these family groups. And so if we go to the government with one voice, we have a very strong voice. Well, as I said, this group meets every year. And so back in January this year, we wanted to invite Sheikha Lubna, who is the Minister of Tolerance in the country. So there she is. And she was going to come and address the bishops uh, maybe for an hour or something. And then you know what she said? She said, hey, can I just hang out with you guys during the day? I mean, who would want to hang out with a bunch of bishops and archbishops, right? And the idea just grew until the point to where we started talking about the ancient Christian monastery here in the UAE out on Serbanias Island. And so then the idea was, why don't we take a field trip to Serbanias Island with all of these leaders? And so Sheikh Alabna went to uh, the crown prince, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, and Sheikh Mohammed said, I think that's a great idea. I will pay for everything. And so I have a couple slides of, this is a picture in the VIP airport. And if you see the gentleman sitting down with the red thing, you, got, you girls, you need to go visit him. That is Joseph Faragullah. He's the pastor of the Arabic church. He was the leader of YWAM for 20 years in the Middle East. So he's waiting for you. Go see him. But if you can imagine all of these bishops and archbishops in this VIP airport, and we had told them, listen, when you come, whatever you've got to wear, wear it. Now, I know we're boring, us Protestant evangelicals, but these guys are not. So they had robes and crosses and hats and everything. And it was really funny because there was one point where uh, a delegation from the Oman government came. And they walked into the airport, and they just kind of stopped because they looked around, and all they saw were Christian priests and, and bishops. They thought they were in the wrong place. Anyway, so then, uh, next slide. That's just uh, going out to get on this airplane. The next one. This is uh, at the monastery itself. This is about 600, 700 A.D. And it was a very powerful time. Uh, Sheikh Alubna with her... Uh, Uh, Entourage was there. The media was there. And right after this picture was taken, one of the delegates said, you know, there hasn't been prayer in this place for hundreds and hundreds of years. We need to pray. And so we all just gathered into a circle and said we all know the Lord's Prayer because there's about five different languages there. And just as one, with one voice in different languages, saying the Lord's prayers together. And it was so special. It was like just a sense of God's presence, God's Holy Spirit in that meeting. And you could tell it was affecting our Arab brothers and sisters that were there. Because they could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we moved on from there, we went to... uh, where we had our conference meeting. Next slide. And um, we wanted to give Sheikh Alabna a, a present, thanking her for, for all that she's done. And you're wondering, well, what, what kind of a present do you give a Sheikha who has everything anyway, right? And Teresa had the idea, what we should give her is, uh, one of you probably see them, the ceramic plates that has the, the Lord's Prayer in Arabic. And we had no idea that God would be moving us at the monastery to be saying the Lord's Prayer 
And so here we were able to give her this. And then at the same time, we, we asked her, would it be okay if we prayed for you? And so we had one of our uh, Syrian sisters come up, put her hand on her shoulder. Remember, this is all public. The TV cameras are rolling. And ask for a blessing on her, on this country, and on the people of this land. And it was a powerful moment. And you could just tell in, in her eyes the sense of this was a new experience in a, in a positive way. God is doing something in these days. Next slide is this event went into the Arab newspapers. And anything that's going to happen that, that is a positive thing for Christian-Muslim relationships is going to go to other places is really good. And so places like Bahrain or Saudi or Kuwait or Oman, we're raising this awareness that we actually can be friends, work together, live together, and honor one another as we are guests in their country. But then some other things have happened. In this next slide, you see that we have had in the last couple years the opportunity to come out with some very significant books. This book, Christianity in the UAE, if you don't have it, you need to get that. It was printed by Motivate Publishing in Dubai. And it talks about the richness of the heritage of the Christian community that's here And on the cover of it, you see the stone with the cross. That is the stone that they found out at the monastery on Surbanias Island. But then this next book is Jesus of Arabia. And that book is into its second or even third printing. They're hoping to get that translated into Arabic. Again, it's being printed here in this country. And the man who wrote the introduction to it is on the next slide, which is Sheikh Nahyan. And so when you go to this book that talks about Jesus and talks about the culture of the Gulf and talks about some of the questions that we have between Muslims and Christians, and yet he wrote the introduction to this. And actually, he was the one that chose the title to the book. And you love those stories because as the author, Andy, who's the Anglican priest here in in Abu Dhabi, as he went to Motivate Publishing, he came up with all these ideas, and he would say, what about this? They say, no, we don't like it. What about this title? No, we don't like it. And so finally, Sheikh Nayan said, why don't you call it this? So he went back to Motivate Publishing. We'd like to call it Jesus of Arabia. We don't like it. Well, Sheikh Nayan said, he said, we love it. <laughs> Great title. Okay, so then, next slide. I don't know if you heard this. This is just in June. This is the mosque right next to the Anglican church uh, where they changed the name to Mary the Mother of Jesus Mosque. Think about that for a second. They didn't have to do that. The only reason they did it was to show, in a sense, a respect to the Christian community around them. Okay, and then last slide in July, we got a call from the CID saying we would like to meet with some of the pastors in the city. And so um, we went down to their... This was taken just... uh, Uh, from the newspaper when the new CID building down by immigration was built. And they put on this incredible breakfast for us. 
And uh, the Brigadier General Rashid, who's in charge of the whole CID for the, this emirate, was talking, and he outlined what they wanted to do for our society here. And you know what he said? We need your help. We want to work together with you. And so we're hoping that this will be the first of several meetings that we will have, two to three meetings every year, to get together with them to talk about how we can improve society. One of the heavy things for them is human trafficking and the things that happen with maids and the abuse that goes on there. And he says, we understand, we know that oftentimes when girls are trapped in prostitution, they run away. Where do they go? They go to you in the church, which we have had. And so to be able to get them out of their situation because they don't have their passports, and maybe if they even got their passport back, they've been in the country illegally now for over six months. All of that takes the government to sort it through. They said, we want to help to do that. And there's actually programs now, different programs, that anyone here could sign up to just help in, in uh, community service. It could be first aid or it could be all kinds of different things. They are reaching out to us to, to work together with us. And then, and then just finally, uh, you know, as a result of this meeting back in January uh, that uh, Sheikh Mohammed, the crown prince, sponsored. He, he has requested that on this coming Monday that the priests that are still here in the country would just go and meet with him and give us an opportunity to say thank you for hosting that. Now think about that. All of those things are happening in one year. The country is changing. The atmosphere is changing. The spiritual climate is changing. So I'd like to look at Acts and chapter 8. And this really is going to be kind of a continuation of what the girls were sharing through their testimony. God is on the move right now. God's desire is to bring people into a relationship with him. And he wants to do that through you and me. He wants to partner together with us to see that happening. And so here we have this sovereign God of the universe is directing individuals and drawing them close to himself. And guess what? He's using us and working with us to intersect with those people that we have the privilege to be a part in bringing them closer to the living God. You want to get excited about getting up in the morning when we actually will grasp and internalize the fact that God is on the move today and he wants to use everyone here in part of his plan and purposes. And so here we have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And there's some things that we can learn from this as we try to figure out Okay, but, but how does God work with, with me? How can he direct me? So verse 26, this is in Acts and chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Why does he say a desert place? What, what importance does that bring to, to this story? I thought about that. And I, I wanted to know. God, it, it seems out of place. Why is it there? And so you just go back a few verses to the beginning of the chapter to find out, well, where was Philip and what was he doing? And we find in Acts 8 and just cha- uh, verse 4, listen to what was going on. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Guys, there was a revival happening. This was an unreached people group. This was the Samaritans. And in the context of that city, there were power counters happening right and left. Demons not coming out quietly, but screaming. And there were many of them. And then there were people being healed right and left. And people were coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was so much going on that joy was filling the entire city. Picture that was you in Samaria at that point. And then God taps you on the shoulder and says, okay, leave that. Are you kidding? Look what's going on. Look at the the miracles that are happening. Look at the lives that are being changed. No, God says, leave that and go down to a desert place, basically where there aren't very many people. It doesn't make sense unless we look to the God who sees the big picture, who has the ultimate purpose and the ultimate plan, who is guiding and directing individuals. When we look to him and we trust him, it doesn't have to make sense. But in the midst of that revival, Philip was immediately obedient. He rose, and he went. Did God tell him what was going to happen? No. Nothing. Just leave this fruit that's here and go down to a desert place. So then we pick up the story. Verse 27. He rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Luke, as the author of Acts, is giving us the background information on this Ethiopian. Think about the sovereign God who's been preparing this Ethiopian back in Africa. 
brought him at the exact right time to come to Jerusalem in a time where he heard about what had happened to this man, Jesus Christ. He was a God-fearer. And how on his way home, at exactly the right moment, when he's reading Isaiah, what happens? God brings his messenger. The person he's chosen to partner with him to accomplish his work. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Again, stop and think about it if that's you. Let's say you're on the street of Abu Dhabi and there is a limousine with a a state flag of a country and an ambassador driving by and he says to you, go over to the limousine and knock on the window. He didn't say anything else. He just said to Philip, Go to that chariot. Philip doesn't know anything about this Ethiopian eunuch. But what does he do? Immediately, he just obeys that nudge of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to what he said. And then when he comes, verse 30, so Philip ran to him, and then he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And all of a sudden, for Philip, it became clear. He knew at that point God had been preparing. God had gone ahead. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. And he he answered. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? That's our job. We are the ones to guide to Jesus, to point to Jesus, to take people from where they are and move them into the direction of Jesus. And then he invited him to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That's a quote from Isaiah 53. And then the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here is this incredible picture how God takes Philip and Philip immediately understands that he takes this man right where he is at the point that God had prepared him and he takes that and then he moves him forward. I can imagine that what Philip said to him was, uh, let's just read the two verses before the verses you were just reading because those apply to the man you heard about in Jerusalem. It applies to Jesus, the Christ. And I can imagine him reading verse 4, chapter 53 of Isaiah. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And how he would point out Jesus on the cross and the nails that were put into his hand. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Philip is able to explain then to this God-fearing Ethiopian how our God is holy and righteous and just, and he must punish sin. And at the same time, our God is full of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and how all those characteristics came together on the cross. And how God's wrath for our sin was put on Jesus. He suffered what we deserved because of his grace and his love and his mercy. And you can imagine as Philip is sharing this with the Ethiopian, and he, it, it, he was ready. He was ripe. He was ready. And Philip went on to say, and what we need to do from that is we need to repent that we are sinners. And we need to accept this incredible sacrifice that God made for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. We repent. We receive that salvation. And then we go and we be baptized in water to demonstrate the choice that we've made. Well, I think it was probably right around that point as they're going along in their chariot. It says in verse 36, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What an incredible picture. When we look at that sovereignty of God to accomplish his purpose in the life, not just of the Ethiopian, because where was he going? He was going home. This is the man who's going to be the doorway to all of Eastern Africa. Philip the servant. When he had done the job God said, what happened? God took him away. Now, think about the discipleship process we like to talk about. Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who's responsible for the Ethiopian. And Jesus is the one who gives you and I our assignments. 
But what I love about this story as I read it is that it is so unique and different every part of it. We like to put ministry in a box. We like for ministry to be the same all the time, every way. And God says, I don't work that way. Because my creation is diverse, and the ministry I want to do is diverse. And so we have this picture of Philip in Samaria with massive amounts of uh, people being delivered from demons, healings, all this stuff going on, as well as teaching of the Word. Here is one picture, a mass movement of people. And then all of a sudden, a few verses later, what do we have? One man, no masses. One man, just the word, no miracles. And Philip is just adapting to what God is doing. But in the case of the Samaritans, it says the whole city was filled with joy. Why? Because those people had come now in contact with the living God, in relationship with the living God, and it just overflowed with joy. And then what do we see with the Ethiopian? Philip is gone, but he was going away what? Filled with joy for the same reason. He had come now into a living relationship with Almighty God. Philip was the guide. He was the one that God brought in at just the right moment to see his purposes accomplished. You know, for you and I, what is on God's heart to do in these next months? What is on His heart to do in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in this city? God is just, He's, he's looking to accomplish His will and pour out His love. Do we have our radar up? Do we have our antennas up? Are we people who are going to be listening like Philip to where God will touch you on the shoulder and say, go over and pray for the man in the wheelchair? (laughs) Or maybe it's go give someone a cup of cold water. Or maybe it's reach out to somebody. Just a couple months ago, Teresa was at her computer, and she had a nudge of some friends that we hadn't seen for years. Write them a note. So she did. And they responded immediately. And as they responded about the difficulties that they were in, they actually said, as I'm writing this, I'm writing through the tears are falling down on the computer. And then they said, how did you know? Why did you contact me today? Well, God knows. And God knows what he's doing through those people And he knows what he wants to do through us. Every one of us here is God's powerful tool filled with his spirit. What would God like to accomplish? What can we be dreaming? What can we be intentionally asking God for? 
in terms of changed lives. Marriages healed. It's endless. What can God do this year? Father God, as we just think about this incredible story of Philip, Lord, we just think that, that who are we? We're, we're not fancy people. We're not anything special, but you are. God, I would ask that you would just pour out a blessing on this congregation, an anointing of courage. Father God, that there would be listening ears to when your spirit says turn right or turn left. Father, would you point out to us the people who are needy and hurting and crying and desiring you? And Lord, even if we don't understand, even if it doesn't make sense, even when we're afraid to do it, Lord, give us that courage to just go and say, can I pray for you? Can I help you today? Is everything all right? Lord, we want to see your kingdom come, and we want to see your will done in this city for your glory, for the glory of your name and of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his name that we pray to you right now, and thank you. Amen.